If you have a Bible this morning, which I hope you do, turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 this morning. What if all of us were a part of a team of explorers uh, that have just found that there is uh, the greatest hidden treasure in the world. It just happens to be in the midst of one of the most dense jungles in the world. And there's a lot of excitement. Uh, we get our team together. We get all of our gear together. We get whatever maps we can figure out. And we realize that this is going to be quite a journey. But it's a journey that's totally worth it. And we start off into this uh, jungle and, and, and we're cutting our way a path that uh, you can't even <clears throat> find a trail through there, uh, but we're going uh, because there is a treasure uh, beyond all treasures in the world. It would take a lot of uh, patience, a lot of days, it would take us a lot of perseverance, uh, trouble to get through to these things that, that everyone on the team has to be relentless on this pursuit. Um, the question is, what is that treasure? It's not some city of gold. It's not uh, some buried treasure. It's not something that uh, the world would look to and say, that is the most amazing thing. The treasure that we talk about this morning that we see that Paul tells us is it is the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. That is the greatest, the ultimate, uh, the most perfected treasure that anyone and everyone could go after. And I pray that that is uh, what you are pursuing in your life. Because as we look at Philippians chapter 3, again, it's another text as we've been going through each of these chapters. A lot of uh, very familiar scriptures uh, to those who have been walking with the Lord for a while uh, in the book of Philippians. And we come again to a couple of these verses today. As we read, Paul is sharing of his journey, uh, discovering this truth that Christ is worth it. It is worth knowing Christ. He is the greatest treasure. And he speaks of all these things in his life, of casting them aside, all of these uh, things that would hinder his pursuit. And so as we look at verses uh, 1 through 11 this morning, the scriptural truth from the text is this, that our highest aim must be the pursuit of knowing Christ, forsaking all earthly accomplishments and placing our complete trust in Him alone for salvation. Look with me at Philippians chapter 1, I mean chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The glorious word of God. Again, Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the word. Father, let us be captivated by your word that the treasure beyond all treasures is Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this text this morning, which for some of you may be very familiar, you may have memorized some of these passages of scriptures. Let's look at verse 1 and that this first point that we would be a, be a same thing church. Be a same thing church. And you might say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, let's look here at verse 1. First, what he says in verse 1 is, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. We've seen from chapter 1 that he's constantly speaking about joy and joy that is found in Christ. And he says here, finally, my brothers, he's not ending the letter, but he's summing up what he wrote in chapters 1 and chapter 2. And he says, finally, with that in mind, rejoice in the Lord. If you are a Christian here this morning in this room hearing my voice, you should rejoice because you have a Lord and Savior. All mankind, every single person born into this world is born with a need for a Savior. And as Paul tells the people in Acts, he says they feel for it. People in this world feel they have this need for a Savior not knowing who that is and they go after every single thing under the sun. If you're a Christian here this morning and you think of your sins and you think of hell, you should rejoice. You should rejoice because you have a Savior who is able to deliver you and forgive you of your sins and to deliver you from eternal damnation in hell and the wrath of God forever. You should rejoice, church, if you are found in Christ. When you think of dying, Christians, when you think of death, that is ahead for you, you should be rejoicing. You're like, I don't want to rejoice over dying. You should rejoice because of the promises of Christ and being in him. Jesus Christ is not dead. He is not in the grave. He is risen from death to life and he is returning. So Christian, you should rejoice because the promises of God's word says that being in Christ, you will be raised from death to life. Amen? I'm like, man, is there any Christians in the room this morning? We should be rejoicing. We should say amen when we read scripture of these things. There should be joy that wells up in your heart in the face of trouble, in the face of sin, in the face of death, because in Christ you are set free from those things. And you have the great treasure and inheritance of heaven, of not the streets of gold, but of Jesus Christ and being with him for eternity. This is how he sums up chapter 1 and 2 and says, finally you rejoice. In verse chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And what? And again, I say, rejoice. 
He repeats himself over and over. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you should rejoice. And if you're not a Christian this morning and you've come into this place, know that you have been prayed over this week. Even this morning as I was driving here, I prayed for you if you are a person who just is not a follower of Christ because you have nothing to rejoice in. You may have happiness in this world, but happiness in this world is fleeting and it will fail you. Only uh, joy that's eternal is found in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. He says, to, the, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. This is his aspect of being a same thing church. You see, the Apostle Paul, as we've read and what he says here is, I've taught you the gospel. I'm teaching you the gospel again. And I will continue to teach you the gospel as long as the Lord has me here. He says, it's no trouble to repeat myself uh, because this is of utmost importance to you. Some of us do not like to repeat ourselves. We tell someone, we're like, they should get it the first time, right? You tell uh, children, uh, hey, you need to do this. You have this expectation. They're just going to perfectly obey every single time. And then after the fifth time, you're raising your voice and repeating yourself. You're like, go to your room or you're grounded or whatever. We don't like to repeat ourselves. The Apostle Paul here says, it's no problem for me to repeat myself because this is of utmost importance and you should rejoice over these things. He preaches the gospel over and over and over and the gospel, uh, or in, in the New Testament, read of the gospel over and over and over because church, you need to hear the gospel daily, moment by moment, because it will protect you. It will guard you and guide you. It will protect you from what he's addressing here, legalism from the false teachers. The gospel will protect you that you'll be able to identify people who are teaching things that are not true to the gospel. The gospel will protect you from yourself. Probably sometimes our greatest temptation to put things and boast in things in our life, to pride ourselves in, and the gospel reminds you that it's all about Jesus and it's not about us. At the same time, to be a same thing church, we must be a people who never add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to never take anything away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would say that this is one of the greatest temptations for the body of Christ in the world today. The temptation for the church is to add something to the gospel to make it more appealing. To add something to the church to make people want to come to church so that they'll hear the gospel. If we just take this program, which all these churches use, and just add it to our church, then more people will come in. If we do this event, we will just gather more people. They'll just want to come hear about Jesus. If we build the greatest facilities ever and have the most comfortable places and serve the best coffee and do whatever it is to make people feel good, then people will come. We're going to have the most professional worship team, so we're going to actually pay them, whether they're Christians or not, so they'll come and lead a team of people, lead the people of God to sing praises to Him. If we just do these things, more people will come. They'll be so excited about the cross and the empty tomb. There are some ridiculous things that churches have done in this world to try to 
in a sense, add to the gospel to make it more appealing. Everything from giveaways. I was reading of some of the giveaways that I was just amazed by. There was one church that had bottled water and it said, Holy H2O. And what they did is they had their leaders gather around and pray over the bottles and they advertised, hey, come and get your holy water. Some churches give away everything like cars, like brand new cars, just to get people in the door so that they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some churches use smoke machines, LED lights, and lasers so that they can, as they say, try to get people to experience what Isaiah experienced when he saw the Lord seated on his throne. I tell you this, smoke, LED lights, and lasers have nothing on the glory of God. This one was ridiculous. One church had heavenly pet blessing day. They invited the community, bring your pets with you to church, and we will bless them that day. We will pray over your animals so that they will be blessed. I remember as a youth pastor trying to bribe students to bring friends to church. Hey, if you bring friends to church, we're going to give you this. We'll give you this prize. We'll do this because, again, it was all about gathering the people. Now, don't get me wrong here. We're commanded to go to the ends of the earth, to declare the gospel here in Missoula, all the way to the ends of the earth. And so we should be daily speaking to every single person that we come in contact with and sharing the love of Christ by sharing the gospel with them. But if we get so bound up in the fact that if we do these things, then people will show up. It's just like Ray, the farmer in Field of Dreams who heard, if you build it, he will come. And that's been something that churches have adopted. If we build it, they will come. And that's something that's not of Christ. That's something that's not of the Word of God. That's something of the world. And we have to guard over these things. Probably the most grievous thing, though, is incorporating the secular world and secular trends into the preaching of the gospel we won't talk about sin. We won't talk about the wrath of God. We'll only talk about Jesus who loves you so much. And so if you know how much he loves you, then you'll just want to come to him. When the world is going, why would I come to him? People need to hear that they are sinners facing the wrath of God so they would see Jesus who is the greatest treasure, the Savior who can save them and give them eternal life. I was thankful for Chobe reading this in Galatians, and I'm going to turn to it again. Galatians chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. The Apostle Paul was warning the church in Galatia from adding to the gospel or taking away from the gospel, from going away from that as the main thing. And he says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Some heavy words, right? Churches need to guard by partnering in that 
and being accursed by adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, by taking away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I will say this. There are activities and events and things that churches do that God uses where the gospel is declared and people are saved. The problem is when a church puts all their money and puts all their time and all their energy in those programs over the Lord God Almighty. And they put all their investment and all their time and the church gets worn out to do these events because these events are going to save people. And the argument is like, well, even if just one believes. Well, of course. But we must guard from adding anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ and being distracted. We must always be a same thing church. And some of you hate me even saying that because you're like, that sounds boring. The same things. Do the same things over and over? Well, what does Scripture tell us? The body of Christ is to not neglect gathering together for the reading of the Word, for the preaching of the Word, for the singing of the praises. And you gather with me Sunday after Sunday. And you gather during the week in small groups. And you gather one-on-one for discipleship. You do the same things over and over. If God desired the church Now, at this time, before his return, to do all kinds of things, he would probably have some chapter about being the most creative people in the world. And here's 10 steps to how you can create new things so you can bring people in. He simply says, go and make disciples of all the the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We're to be obedient to that. And as the Lord uses our gifts and our abilities and our creativity and, 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 and we minister to other people, then praise the Lord. But do not be a church that's trying to add or do new things because I, they take the scripture out of the Old Testament. God's doing a new thing, so we need to do, do a new thing as well. Don't follow the things of the world. Be steadfast in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says there in verse 1, rejoice in the gospel rather than placing your trust in religion or yourself. And that fits perfectly in verses 2 through 7 in the second point, which is this, beware of false confidence. The second point is beware of false confidence. Look at verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul is warning the church against dogs and evildoers. And by the way, those are the names that he calls false teachers. He says false teachers are dogs. Now, again, when you look at this time and the world then, people didn't, have, people didn't just have nice foo-foo and fifi living in their house. They didn't have, uh, you know, the, 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 these nice dogs that are going out with them hunting. They didn't have these nice dogs who are getting shots and all kinds of things to make sure they don't pass on things. These dogs would run in packs. People were fearful of dogs. Very few had pets. And so to call someone a dog, like the nation of Israel called the Gentiles, uh, was a pretty serious thing. And Paul says false teachers are dogs. And by the way, he says they're also evil doers. And he warns the church, you need to watch out for these people because their teaching is influencing the church. This is why Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. He's like, why are you abandoning the gospel which I've taught you? That's a warning here for the church of Philippi. Don't follow after these false teachers. Some of the battles were they, they were teaching Jesus, but they also uh, 
as in verse uh, 3 there, verse 2 and 3, they were teaching, you also had to follow the law, therefore circumcision had to be a part of the work of Christ so that you had Jesus plus circumcision or abiding to the law equals salvation. And we know from Scripture, Jesus plus anything is nothing. Jesus plus anything is worthless. Jesus Christ equals salvation. That's what you hold to. That's what we believe, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are saved by Jesus Christ alone, by faith in, in Christ alone. And he says in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the what? In the flesh. Again, salvation does not come by ascribing to the law and faith. The, 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 the argument that they were presenting, circumcision and belief in Jesus would save you. No, salvation comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 2 says that it's a gift that we're given to believe in Christ. And so faith in Christ does not also, faith and religious rituals and these things that I prescribe to. No, it's faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. If we stay in the scriptures, it will ground us and help us identify, as he says here, the false teachers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15, Paul says, For such men are false, pro are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it, is of no, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. The scriptures help us know when someone is teaching something that is false and wrong and against the gospel of Jesus Christ, against the words of God. And therefore, church, be grounded in the scriptures. Read the word of God. Spend your time daily in them that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to the truth of Christ and also to expose the darkness of the world. Paul warns, though, in look at verse 4, about having a false confidence. He says, church, don't have this confidence that is in you. It says in verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is not only the, the one place. In few of his letters, the Apostle Paul lists all of his achievements all the things that he has done well in this world, all the things that would give him opportunity to say, hey, let me just bring this chart up for you here, and let me just give you a list of every single thing I have done in life. And he does this in some of the letters. And it's so common to the world today. Our culture and this world raises all of us, raises children, especially in the United States of America. You need to be achievers you need to achieve goals in life. And so everything from education to sports to the arts and being musicians to being a great leader to accomplishing wealth to being the best uh, community service volunteer, those things are taught to us at a young age. 
We're to pursue those things. And as we pursue them, we get trophies. As we pursue them, we get certificates. As we pursue another uh, part of education, we get a diploma. And on and on, we have all these things that we can boast in. This is what he's talking about. This is what he's laying out. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. One of the things that we need to realize that every single best accomplishment that we could ever um, undertake and see to fruition in this world um, are worthless. They're worthless. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 through 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Did you see that? It says, don't boast in wisdom. Don't boast in your strength or your might, your physical abilities. Don't boast in your riches or your wealth that you've acquired. But it says, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And then he gives a list of attributes of God. Steadfast love, justice, righteousness. We are to boast in Jesus Christ. We are to boast in knowing Jesus Christ. We are not to boast in the things of this world. In verse 5, the, the, the Apostle Paul says, here's my list. Here's some of the things. Circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, the, the tribe of Benjamin. So he was boasting in, uh, in, in the family that he was born in, in his ethnicity, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He goes on to boast, he says, as to the law of Pharisee. He was, he was not just a... A mediocre Pharisee. He was an expert of the experts under Gamaliel of the law. He knew these things. Maybe he would have been moving up the ladder uh, through Pharisees. Maybe one day be high priest, whatever. But he says, as to the law of Pharisee, and then he says, as to zeal, oh, I've been a zealous person. I was the one who persecuted the church. When Stephen, a uh, Christian, stood up and was sharing the gospel of Christ, I was standing there. I said, hey, you guys, lay your coats here. I'll watch them as they take rocks and they go smash his head in and they kill him for faith in Jesus Christ. He goes, oh, I'm more zealous than anyone out there. And I was on my way to, way to go persecute more and God stopped me on the road and he blinded me and he told me that he was going to uh, use me to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth and God changed Paul that day. He goes, oh, I've been zealous for persecuting the church. And he says, as to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. In verse 7 though, but whatever gain I had, I counted as what? It's a loss for the sake of Christ. Do you understand that everything in this world, in your life, is worthless in light of knowing Christ? 
And I know we can say, well, what about this is good and that's okay. And what about these? Yeah, there are things that are good. But all of it, as we read in Jeremiah, even our best good things, they're worthless. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says this, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. And so your best, 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 best good works you've ever done in your life, the good things that you even say, I'm doing it for the name of Christ, are worthless according to Scripture before Christ he is holy and he is righteous. And apart from Christ uh, in our life and us knowing Christ, we are not holy and we are not righteous. Therefore, what are the accomplishments that are in your life that are taking, uh, that you're receiving and taking more glory and stealing from God? Because when you and I see the end of all of our accomplishments in life, we then can behold the glory of knowing Christ. Look at verses 8 through 11. The third point is behold the glory of knowing Christ. To behold the glory of knowing Christ. I was reading this week and was sharing with my family this story that in 2007, uh, a woman, her name is uh, Leona Hemsley, she died. She owned all kinds of hotels, all kinds of real estate worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And she had a dog, and she named her dog Trouble. Now, I don't know why she named it Trouble unless it caused a lot of problems there. But Trouble was so precious to her. Trouble was worth so much to her that in her will, she left $12 million to Trouble. A dog. Did you get that? $12 million. You're like, man, if I had that 12 million, I could do a lot with that. The 12 million was to take care of trouble. She left her grand, two of her grandchildren 5 million. So you can see what she valued most. But what, think for a minute right now, what is the most valuable earthly thing that you own right now? Think about it for a minute. What's the, the thing that's worth the most value to you in this world? Okay, I'm talking about earthly things. What is it? Is it your home? Vacation home? Is it a car? Is it jewelry or a watch? Is it a rare painting or some type of antique or collectible worth a lot of money? Is it your tools, uh, your, your, your clothing? Is it your boat, your uh, recreation uh, equipment? Is it your phone? Some people, their phone is the most valuable thing in their life. And I know we laugh about it, but it's true. There are young people who uh, are living in their parents' home, and they have their things taken care of, and they've got a phone, and their phone is their most valuable thing, and if it got lost, they would probably kill over and die. Now, I know I'm being a little bit overdramatic here, but think about the most valuable thing that you own in this world, and you lose it, it gets destroyed, it's gone. How do you respond? I mean, be, I'm serious here. Because I brought something I've talked about a couple years ago. I brought this letterman's jacket. Now this was, at one point, my treasure. At one point, this thing never was laid down anywhere. Always hung up. It was perfect. 
I could not, I was so excited in my sophomore year when I got my first JV letter. I'm like, can't wait to get my jacket, get it put on there, get my name on the back. And as each sport, as academics, as playing in band, as I'd get letters and pins, I'd put all these things on here. There's things that are missing on here because you can see they tore off. Hung this up, went to college, got married. A number of years later, my mom and dad, they had a box for me, and, and uh, I'm like, oh, oh, my letterman's jacket in there? I was like so excited, and I pulled this out. There's like holes everywhere. If you can't see, it looks like stains. These are holes. Like this is going to fall apart. I had medals that literally when I took it out of the box, they just fell to the floor. And I was amazed by this. I was like, to be honest, I actually was aggrieved. I, I know it sounds bad, but I, was, I prided myself in sports and in high school and academics and those things. I was so excited about this. And then in the bottom of the box, there were trophies and plaques. And I pulled them out and like the soccer trophy guy falls off. And the certificate's like, I couldn't read them. And I'm like, I'm like I've only been out of school 10 years. All these things fading. This year just happens to be my 30-year high school anniversary. I'm like, I wonder if I could wear this. <laughs> I actually tried to put it on this morning. I couldn't even fit into it. So, um, But anyways, uh, all of that, it's worth nothing. But it gave me a good glimpse of like, oh, I invested so much time and so much energy. And I can tell you, I enjoyed playing sports. I enjoyed doing the academics. I enjoyed all that stuff. But I can't say that during that time that my most treasured thing was the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I pray that every single child and teenager in this room, that whatever you're pursuing, all the days that you have set before you, that the days the Lord will give you, I pray that today God changes your mindset and that the surpassing worth of knowing Christ is worth everything. It's worth every, it's the ultimate thing in life. It should be your goal. So if you're like, I've got my plan, I'm going to college, going to do all these things, whatever, then I pray you change your plans today and you seek Christ first. And let him direct his will for your way and the path that you're to follow. I pray that for every single child and young person in here and for all of you adults. Some of you are trying to pursue stuff in your last days and it's things that are not of Christ. And you're spending your time, your energy, you're spending everything, your money on that. And it should be all about first and foremost the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, would you pray that for me? Would you pray that that would be the ultimate goal in my life, the highest aim, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? As I pray that for you, that we pray that for one another. Because in verse 8 here, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Amen? That should be our hearts this morning. Pray that that would be what's fostered in our hearts. Psalm 42 verse 1 says this, As the deer pants for flowing streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O God. Look at that up there on the screen for a minute. 
I pray that every single time you see deer, and I know some of you are so tired of deer, you're tired of hitting deer, they're eating your flowers. I pray that every single time you see deer for the rest of your life, that this verse will be ingrained in your mind, and you will ask yourself, is my soul panting for the Lord God Almighty today? That should be the, 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 the aim of your life and that should be what's moved upon your heart that we are panting, our soul is panting for the Lord God Almighty. Let that be our prayer this morning. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Hear the words of Jesus Christ as he speaks of the kingdom of heaven, his kingdom. As he speaks of the pursuit of the kingdom of heaven, he speaks of this and he says in Matthew 13 verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. We too, in a sense, should sell everything that we have achieved in this world so that we can have the treasure of Christ. We can't buy Jesus Christ. He is the one who saves us. He is the one who stirs our hearts and changes us so that we would see the gospel and believe in him. But that should be the aim of our hearts is that we would give everything for Jesus Christ. He says, for his sake... I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish. The word there is dung, a refuge, in order that I may gain Christ. Look at all your greatest worldly achievements and look at them and then take a sticker and just put the word dung on it. I mean, seriously, if you go and, I mean, take your, your degrees from universities and, that are hanging in your rooms or your offices and just put a big old sticker that says dung. Good reminder. Take your favorite toys, your most valuable thing, and just take some, write the word dung, just stick it to it for a while. So that every time you go out there, not that it's some inherently bad thing, but you're like, oh, yes, Jesus Christ is my ultimate worth. He's the one that's worth it all. That is something temporarily. That's going to be destroyed when this world is burnt up. And to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. When we look at these last couple of verses in 9, 10, 11, there's three things that we see. We see justification, we see sanctification, and we see glorification. And all of this rounds this whole text together in which he says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because you know Christ as a follower of Christ. As a Christian, you know him and are growing to know him more and more. And as Paul describes this process in the last couple of verses, you should rejoice in this salvation process in verse 9 is where we see justification we see justification in verse 9 and to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law this goes back to what he was just saying about all the things he had accomplished it says but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith you see justification is to put your trust in Christ as your righteousness that as you are saved by faith in Christ you are given the righteousness of Christ and God the Father sees you just as if you had never sinned he sees his son's righteousness which is given to you 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, 
He made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Salvation is not based on our works or accomplishments, but trust in Christ alone for salvation. Through faith in Christ, we are justified. In Romans chapter 3, verse 22 through 24, the Apostle Paul says this, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So if you believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, you have the righteousness of Christ. It says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is justification, being made right with God at the moment of faith in Him. Verse 10 speaks of sanctification. Verse 10 speaks of sanctification in which he says, That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. This is the process of knowing Christ more and more and becoming more and more like Christ. Sanctification. It's a spiritual growth process that comes with great challenges in this life as you walk in this world. But the reward, the treasure is immeasurable. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and being with Him forever. When he says the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, what he means is that you as a follower of Christ in this world, you share in being hated for the name of Christ. You share in the persecution, just as Christ and other believers have been persecuted for the name of Christ. The apostle Peter says, don't be surprised by this. He writes to the church and he says in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And so we are justified by faith in Christ alone. We are sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit every moment of our life after justification until the day we are with Christ. And verse 11, he speaks of glorification. Glorification, which we long for and we hope for. It says in verse 11, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Glorification is awaiting for the resurrection that we will have when the moment of Christ, our soul, which is made perfect without any more sin, without any stain of sin, but being perfectly holy and righteous, and our bodies being raised from the grave, resurrected, and a new, perfect, glorified body, soul and body together with Christ for eternity. Church, is that your hope? We await Jesus Christ and we say, come Lord Jesus, coming in the clouds, returning one day that we would be with him for eternity. Paul told the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen? About a year ago, I was fishing the Gallatin River in Gallatin Gateway. And it was early morning, and I came up from the river to go around some obstacles. And as I came up, I came into this amazing field. This, this 
field with just this golden type of tall grass and the breeze was, was blowing and, and just kind of blowing back and forth. And, and as the sun was about ready to come up over the horizon, I was looking and I could see up, uh, up in the mountains, you could see these Spanish peaks and just the glory that God has created. And I'm just being amazed at this creation that God has created. And it began to help me grasp this magnitude of knowing Christ as I was looking down, there was a section of the river where it curves around. I was like, wow, the, the power of the water that just cuts through the, and makes these bends in the river and, and made me think about my life, that every twist and every turn in my life, that, that, that God has been directing all of these uh, things and he's been the one to sustain me through it all. It's, it's God's creation. I think that's why I love going out in the mornings, whether I catch any fish or not. It's just to be out there to behold the glory of God because it reminds me that Jesus is worth it, that everything is to throw it all away is worth it to have Jesus. And I pray that that is our hearts this morning. I pray that God is revealing to you constantly what, through creation, through his works, through his word, that he is worth it that he is majestic and glorious and he is the only one that can set you free of sin and death and eternal damnation and the wrath of God in hell and he's the one who can save. And so church, let us treasure this morning. Let us rejoice in the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior and God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Heavenly Father, may we behold your glory in this place today. May we behold the majesty and greatness of your might to save. May we praise you and give you thanksgiving. May we be constantly grateful in our hearts would you show us our earthly accomplishments and all the things that we own in this world are worthless. They are dung in the sight of knowing you. Father, I pray that for any this morning who have come into this place, who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, that you are the one who can save, that you are not dead, but you are alive, and that you are the one who sacrificed your life so that we would be saved. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. And Father, for all the believers in this room who are facing today the trouble in their heart that their accomplishments, achievements, the things that they own are worthless, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort them I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes to the glory and majesty of the treasure of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would continue to work in us, make us more and more like your Son, and we give you praise and glory and thanksgiving for your love for us. In Jesus' name.